Amen. Everything's in God's time. Amen. You have your Bibles this morning open, first of all, to Jeremiah chapter 5, which is our base text for the study that we've been in. This is our fourth week when we're asking the question, in the end, what then? That is a question that each one of us must address within our life because the end is coming. In God's time, the end is coming. And the question is, what will you do personally when the end comes? Jeremiah chapter 5 is where we'll begin, but the majority of this message will be in Luke chapter 16. So kind of, you know, just uh, go to Jeremiah first, and then let's go to Luke chapter 16, as will be the meat of this study this morning. In the end, uh, what then? In Jeremiah chapter 5, beginning with verse 29, God says these things to Jeremiah. Beginning in verse 29, God says, Shall I not visit these things? These things, God is making reference to the sin that Israel had found themselves in. He says, Shall I not my soul avenge on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. Now, the King James word there, wonderful, is not what we think of wonderful. It's a horrible thing that has happened in the nation of Israel. He said, here's the problem. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests bear rule to their meaning. In other words, the prophets are prophesying what is not true. The pastors are joining in with those uh, uh, untruths of the Word of God. And then here's the sad thing. He says, and the people love it so. The people love it that our pastors are not preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The people love it when the prophets are not prophesying the true Word of God. Why do the people love it so? Because the people can remain in their sin because they say our leaders are not telling us what we're doing is wrong. And folks, I want to suggest to you that's the problem in the United States of America today. Our pulpits are silent to the true Word of God. Therefore, you have people within the congregations living their life however they choose, not even concerning the sin that is within their life, not even worried about the sin within their life, but God God says, what are you going to do when the end comes? What are you going to do when the end comes? Now, we're, 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 we're looking at this question. And I believe this is the question that each and every one of us that are here this morning, each and every one that is watching us live this morning, or who may watch us later today, that's a question we must ask ourselves, and we need to be honest with ourselves. What will I do when the end comes? Again, we're living in a day and a time where the people want to justify their sins by blaming others for their sins and their shortcomings. It's always someone else's fault, is it not? The alcoholic says, well, I'm an alcoholic because my dad drank when I was a kid. You know, I'm a drug addict because I watched, I grew up watching my mom smoke crack. Therefore, I'm a drug addict today. 
You know, I'm hooked on porn because when I was four years old, I found a Playboy magazine under my grandpa's bed. Therefore, I have no choice but to be a pedophile, you know, someone hooked to porn. It's in my DNA, and I can't help who I am. Have you ever heard people say that, trying to make an excuse for their sin? It's my dad's fault. It's my grandpa's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's everybody's fault but my own. Folks, we have to take ourselves as the problem, not someone else. But it's so much easier to blame someone else than to look right inside my life and say, I am the problem. The fact is, this may shock you, but did you know that sin is in the DNA of each one of us? What do I mean by that? It goes back to Adam and Eve. Therefore, we can't say, well, sin is in my DNA. That's why I can't help myself but to sin. Listen to me. It's in every one of us. But you know what? I'm not an alcoholic, even though sin is in my DNA. I'm not a drug addict, even though sin is in my DNA. I'm not a pedophile, even though sin is in my DNA. I cannot blame others for my actions. The actions that I take, the actions that I I make, the choices that I make in life, folks, is not my daddy's fault. It's not my mama's fault. It's not my grandpa's fault. It's my fault because I am making those choices. Like it or not, what you are is, you you are because you choose to be. And in the end, we're all going to pay for our own uh, sins individually. Not as a result of mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, or whoever it might be. The question is, what will you do? What will you do? Put your name there when the end comes and you're standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. What will you do when you stand before Jesus? Will you hear the words Well done, thy faithful, good and faithful servant. Come enter the joys of the Lord. Or will you hear, depart from me? I never knew you, you who work iniquity. What will you do when the end comes? Question we need to address this morning individually. Now, in our last lesson, we ended by looking at the threefold response when people stand before the Lord. We saw that when the end comes, people are going to be speechless, people are going to be helpless, and people are going to be hopeless. You know, they're not going to begin with protests, you know, saying to God, well, God, you treated me unfairly. Or God, maybe you forgot to record some of the good things that I did. No. You're not going to throw excuses out to God. You're not going to say you've missed something here, Lord. The fact is, you're going to be speechless with nothing to say to God. After falling before the Lord, you see, you're, you're going to be helpless. You're going to be hopeless. You're going to, you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to realize that you've missed that saving grace of Jesus Christ. And at this point, you know, those who refuse the grace of God, the mercy of God, the calling of God upon their life to come to Him while they was in this world, it's going to be hopeless at that point. You cannot turn it around. No hope, no salvation, no mercy, you know, no hope in eternity 
in heaven drinking from that fountain of living water that we looked at last week. So the question to consider, what will you do in the end when you stand before Jesus Christ? What will you do when the one that you face are facing right now, you're facing Jesus Christ right now, you know, what are you going to do with the one that you belittled all your life? Finding him boring and unworthy of your greatest affections. The one who neglected and, and, and placed the, you, you placed the things of the world far above him. Now, we left off last week looking at a man who all his life had no thought of a relationship with God, who all his life he put God on the back burner because the things of this life were more important to him than a relationship with the living God. And again, like we said last week, there's too many people in our churches who identify as Christian who are putting more of the things of the world first in their life than they are God. What will you do? When the end comes, a man, this is a man who was probably a good man. I think this rich man was a good man, you know, yet earthly riches meant more to him than eternal riches that God could provide. Now, today we pick up where we left off last week. Two men have died. Two men have died. You know, they're in eternity. And let's pick up where we left off this morning. John, you need to catch up with me, son. You're way behind here. A tale of two conflicting lives, okay? Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell off the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and they licked his sores. Now, as Jesus begins this narrative in verse 19 here, you know, I want you, you know, he's noting two conflicting lifestyles, two different lifestyles that Jesus is talking about. I believe this parable that Jesus is uh, talking about here, you know, is, is not connected with just the preceding verses of 16 through 18. I think it goes all the way back to verses 1 through 15 because in there Jesus was delivering a message on selfishness and worldliness. Now as he gets to verse 19 through 31 here, he's simply showing the results of a one living a selfish and worldly life rather than a selfless and godly life. So that's what we see here. So let's take a look at these two uh, conflicting stories. Let's start by looking at in what way this rich man was not wrong. How was this rich man not wrong? So looking at this man, I don't believe he was necessarily an evil man. This is me personally. You know, I don't believe that he was a man who deliberately, you know, set out to bring harm or hurt upon other people. In fact, when you look at Abraham's words here in verse 25, you know, you don't see where Abraham says anything about him being an evil person, do you? Abraham doesn't point out, well, the reason you're burning in hell now is because you was a pedophile, you was an adulteress, you was a drug addict, you was an alcoholic. No, Abraham is not pointing out anything negative about why he is in hell at this time. He's not saying you was an evil person. In fact, when you look at that, when you look at that, this man calls Abraham father, right? Okay? And Abraham calls him what? 
son. Okay? Abraham calls him son. Now, 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 now look at this. Let's don't miss this. Evidently, okay, this man was a religious man who is in hell. Folks, you've heard me say this before. I'll say it again, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again. The thing I believe that is going to send more people to hell is religion. Because people put their faith in religion rather than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because people say, I am religious, therefore surely I will go to heaven. I am religious. I am a good person. I'm not an evil person. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a pedophile. You know, I'm not all of these evil things. I'm a religious person. I'm a good person. So surely I'll make it to heaven. Folks, we see right here, this man was of the lineage of Abraham. He was of the lineage of Abraham, you know. But if you'll remember, in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist warned people, don't claim your lineage of being with Abraham as a source for security of your security. Because that's what a lot of people were doing. Father Abraham, we're of his lineage. We're his sons. Therefore, surely we're going to heaven. John the Baptist said, don't put your security there. And that's exactly, I believe, what we're seeing here, here in this passage. Abraham doesn't deny that the rich man is his descendant, yet the fact, that fact doesn't change his eternal destiny. I'm gonna, look at verse 25. And Abraham said, what's that word? Son. What's he doing? He's identifying this man as one of his lineage. Okay? Remember thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted. You're in torment. Yes, you may have been of my lineage. Yes, I may be your father, okay? Yes, you may be my son. But that wasn't enough. Your religious, being religious, being of my lineage, wasn't enough to get you into heaven. In order to understand where he went wrong and why he found himself where he did when the end came for him, let's first see again where he did not go wrong. He was not wrong because he was rich, okay? Now, this is very important because a lot of people say all rich people are going to hell. That is not true, okay? Being wealthy is no sin. I shared with the... Uh, uh, Wednesday, yeah, this is Sunday? Is this Sunday? Yeah, this is Sunday. I shared with the Wednesday night group uh, Wednesday night that the last church I was at, there was a person in there who told me that in order to remain humble, you had to remain poor. You know, let me tell you, I know some humble rich people. Rich people, you know, being rich, being rich is no sin. Now, maybe the way that some get wealthy is a sin. You can look at Washington, D.C. and see that to be a fact. Maybe the way some get wealthy is a sin. But folks, listen, wealth in and of itself, having wealth, having riches in and of itself is not a sin. You know, he's not portrayed as one whose wealth he got ill, you know, in a wrong way. Therefore, you know, being rich wasn't a crime for him. I believe he probably acquired his large estate in an honorable manner. That's just the way I feel. 
The next thing is he was not mean or he wasn't a vicious man. There was no mean streak in this guy, I don't believe. I don't believe he was a vicious type of person. There's no mention of him here being uh, you know, mean or vicious, is it, when Abraham says the reason he's there. No, he's not, he's not accused of being a drunkard. He's not accused of being an adulterer. He's not accused of being a murderer or anything else that we might refer to as being a bad sinner. And let me just throw this in. We won't pass the plate twice for this information here in just a moment. A bad sinner. You know, we would, we would consider the things I just mentioned, a drunkard, an adulterer, a murderer, a pedophile, a bad sinner. But I don't think God looks at one sin worse than another. Sin is sin. We characterize sin. But even looking at that, I don't think we would characterize this guy as, as a bad sinner. All that is said of him is this. Look at this. Remember that thou in thy lifetime received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Not evil as far as what we would think of evil, but he just didn't have those pleasures of life. Now the next thing we see here, he was not a cruel monster who enjoyed seeing the less fortunate you know, suffer. I don't believe he, he, he just enjoyed, you know, seeing Lazarus, you know, with the dogs licking his sores. I don't believe he just looked out there as a monster saying, well, you just eat those crumbs. That's all you're going to get from me. I can't use them anyway. No, I don't believe he was that type of a person. Look, it, it is not, it is not one that, I don't think he took sh- pleasure and shameful pleasures in witnessing the suffering of others. I don't think he enjoyed looking at someone suffer. I think he was far from this, you know, to the point that he consented to the beggar. I believe he allowed his um, crumbs to be through to the beggar. I believe he allowed that. That's why the beggar was at his gate daily. He knew at least I can get some crumbs here. So, I, I, you know, he, he did give him his crumbs, but here's the problem with that. I believe the problem with that is he was not willing to give the beggar anything of value, only the leftovers. Okay, he was not willing, you know, I believe he was not willing to to give this poor beggar, you know, something that he would never miss. He would never miss those crumbs. I mean, you know, when you eat bread at the table, you kind of get crumbs on there sometimes. If you can just get this picture, what do you do? You rake the crumbs off instead of on the floor for the dog to eat. Anyway, you rake them off in your hand and you throw them in the trash. Why? Because those crumbs you're not going to eat. And I think that's the way it was here. He just wasn't willing to give us something that, you know, uh, he would never miss. This, however, is where he was wrong. Willing to give only that which he would never miss. That's where he was wrong. Only willing to give what he would never miss. In other words, he, not, he was not giving out a sacrifice. He was giving leftovers. He was giving leftovers. And in doing so, he never addressed the most important question of life. What am I going to do when the end comes? Yes, I'm throwing this beggar crumbs. I'm giving this beggar something that I, I can't use anyway. But what am I going to do when the end comes? I think if he had addressed that question, he wouldn't have found himself where he was. Now, the next thing, in what ways was this, uh, in what way was this rich man wrong? We've looked at how he wasn't. 
Let's take a look at how he was wrong. I believe that when God gives one great possessions, he does so expecting that person to glorify him. As he reaches out, that person reaches out and helping others. It's what we call the river principle. We talked about the river principle Wednesday night too, didn't we? It's what we call the river principle. And with that principle, it says this, with our blessings, we are to be a river, not a reservoir. That's the river principle. When God blesses, as long as we continue to let those blessings flow, there's always a new blessing coming in. But once we begin to hoard what God blesses us with, because there is no flow, it becomes stagnant. And there is no more blessings that come. That's what happened with this rich man. He was not a river. He was a reservoir. He was just taking in everything that he made, everything he had, and it was all for him and no one else. Oh, sure, he gave the crumbs, but why did he give the crumbs? Because he knew he couldn't eat them no way or wouldn't eat them anyway. So where was this man wrong? He was living an essentially selfish and worldly life. You see, God gave him, you know, his position and his possessions in order that he might glorify his maker and serve his brother. And however, he was using his wealth wholly upon himself, on himself only, rather than up upon the, uh, you know, helping others the way that God intends us to do. How do we know that? Because look at verse 19. He was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. His focus was on him and him, excuse me, and him only. And in doing so, what it ha and here's the problem with just focusing on ourselves, is the same problem he had, we do not see the need of others. Why do we not see the need of others? Because my focus is on myself. But when our focus is on God, even though God's blessing us with riches, we're still able to see the, the need of others because we're being obedient to God. We're being a river with what God blesses us with rather than being a reservoir. This is the problem with people who have a selfish spirit. All they're able to do is see their own wants, their own desires, and they're blinded to the real needs that are around them. You know, if, if he parted with a few crumbs, which he wasn't going to eat anyway, he didn't feel no loss. You know, he felt he was doing his part in helping the needy. I'm doing my part. I'm giving them the crumbs off of my table. His spirit was radically and utterly selfish, and his principles were worldly. Now, the next thing we see here is a selfish spirit blinded his eyes to the needy around him. You see, it meant nothing to him that outside his gates was a world of poverty. That meant nothing to him. You know, of which Lazarus was only one of the painful illustrations. The sad fact did not disturb his appetite or make his fine wines lose their aged taste because he failed to ask the question, what will I do when the end comes? There was nothing for him, you know, that there were treasures of better kind, you know, uh, in eternity. He, it never even crossed his mind that with all these great riches he had, if he was to serve God, there would be greater riches in eternity. That never crossed his mind. Why? Because his focus was on himself. 
He had no idea that, you know, in eternity there is greater things than houses or land or gold or silver. You know, he had no idea that what he could inherit, you know, eternally, what he could inherit in heaven was greater than anything he owned here on this earth. He was not able to see that. Why? Because, again, he was selfish. He was focused upon himself. Here's the thing. Selfishness and worldliness characterized his spirit, okay? They darkened and degraded his life, and they sealed his doom. Listen to me. Even today, your person may be religious. I believe the man was religious because he was a son of Abraham, okay? But if a person is selfish, if a person is worldly, and that characterizes the spirit within them, okay, then they are doomed. They are doomed for an eternity in hell. You see, I believe this rich man, as I've said a number of times, was good, honest, and religious. Yet his problem was, don't miss this, here was his problem. That's the problem with many today. His riches possessed him rather than him possessing his riches. Let me say that again. His riches possessed him. In other words, they had a hold on him, rather rather than him possessing his riches. Therefore, he was controlled by his riches. Riches had become his God. Now, the second thing is, when the end comes, we got to understand, when the end comes, your fate is sealed. It's over with at that point. Okay, let's look, dig into this. We must understand we'll not be able to repent. We'll not be able to receive mercy once the end comes. Once I draw that final breath out of these lungs, once this body goes limp, okay, my fate is sealed at that very moment. There will be no other chance for grace and mercy. There will be no other chance salvation we have to understand this though cries will be heard begging for mercy there's not going to be any it's going to be too late now the only words that's going to be spoken are the ones uh you know that that jesus will repeat you know uh these words spoken by abraham let's look at verse 22 And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, now here's the kicker, besides all this between us and you, and he's talking about between us, him and Lazarus, and you, he said there's a great gulf there, so that they which would pass from heaven okay, to you in hell cannot. And those who are in hell cannot pass to heaven. 
because of this great gulf. What Abraham is saying there is, once you drew that final breath, rich man, your fate was sealed. Your fate was sealed. What are you going to do when the end comes? What will be your fate? That's a question you, you need to address this morning. One must never buy into the idea, well, you know, God is going to deal with us a, a, a different way because after all, Pastor, this was an Old Testament story that Jesus was given, this example that he was given, and now we're under the New Testament, so God is going to deal with us in not such a harsh manner as what you're portraying this morning. Folks, it's called judgment. It's called eternity. And judgment's never an easy road. But if you reject salvation today, if you reject God's mercy and God's grace, once you draw that final breath, your fate is sealed. This rich man, when he drew that final breath, his fate was sealed, whereat? In hell. And Abraham said, look, dude, I'm going to East Texas paraphrase this. Look, dude, you made your choice. Yeah, you, you, you was one of my sons. You was of my lineage. Yeah, you, you know, you, you was a religious person because, you know, you, you followed me. But there never was a time you was faithful to God. Your riches were your God rather than Jehovah. Therefore, when you drew that final breath, you sealed your fate. Lazarus, on the other hand, even though all he ever got to eat was your crumbs, he was faithful to God. Therefore, when he drew his final breath, he too sealed his fate. But his fate was with the Lord that he served. <sighs> look, the severity of his doom. Let's look at this, verse 23. In looking at this event unfold, I believe Jesus was giving insight for those who failed to address the question. You're going to hear me say it again. I'm going to say it a few more times before this is over. What will you do when the end comes? Okay? I point out again, this eternal outcome is not just for mean, evil, cruel people. There are going to be some good people in hell. In fact, there's some good people in hell today. Hell is never meant for bad, cruel, evil people. And in fact, hell was created for who? The devil and his angels. There's going to be some good people who spend an eternity in hell. And again, not just because they were the scum of the earth, pedophiles, murderers, adulterers, you know, people who we consider evil, all because they refused the grace and the mercy of God. They rejected the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for their sins. They chose worldliness over godliness. And they refused to answer the question, what will I do when the end comes? Therefore, their fate was sealed when they drew that final breath. It's for anyone who chooses to love the world and the things of this world over the creator of the world. Hell is for anyone, no matter how good of a person they were, how good of a neighbor they were, or how many clubs or lodges or civic organizations or even churches they were a member of. If they never accepted God's gift of love in the form of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and, and, and accepted that sacrifice, 
sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross for their sins and they never address the question, what will I do when the end comes? They're going to find themselves just like this rich man in torment throughout eternity, throughout eternity. Now let's just quickly notice three things about his doom. First of all, Hell is a place of torment. You see that in verse 23, and he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Now, one point I believe Jesus is wanting to make sure that we understand here, if we fail to address the question, what will I do with the end comes, is, is that when the end comes, for those who have failed to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there's no such thing as annihilation, okay? Hell is eternal punishment. I've heard those teach and preach, you know, well, hell is just a place of annihilation. Yes, you're going to be cast there, but poof, you'll burn up, and just real quickly, it'll be over with. No, 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 no. Do we see that with this rich man? No. He was in hell. He was not annihilated. He was in torment. Can I, can I tell you something? He's still in torment today. He'll be in torment tomorrow. He'll be in torment throughout eternity. Uh, hell also is a place that burns with fire and brimstone. We see in verse 24. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip just the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Again, Jesus is wanting us to know that if we fail to address the question, what is the question? What will, y'all can repeat it with me, what will I do when the end comes? If we fail to address that question, we're going to find ourselves in a place of torment, a place that burns with fire and brimstone, crying out for mercy, and begging at just the smallest amount of water to cool our tongue. But you know what? Even if Abraham would have uh, granted his wish that, uh, that Lazarus would come with a drop of water and cool his tongue, as hot as those flames in hell are, what would have happened to that piece of water, that drop of water? It would have just evaporated. Wouldn't have done no good. He could have took a, a garden hose down there, and it would have melted the garden hose and evaporated all the water. The final thing here is this. Hell is a place that is permanent. And besides all this, verse 26, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence or there. You see, when we fail to address the question, what will I do when the end comes, we must understand once in hell you're there forever. No matter what some religions teach, some churches teach, no one can pray you out once you're there, nor can one pay you out. Once you're there, you're there. The great gulf keeps those in hell from ever going to heaven, and it keeps those who are in heaven who did address the question, what will you do when the end comes from ever going to hell? You know, I, I believe this, and I threw it up here for you. For the believer in Christ, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, earth is the closest thing to hell we're ever going to experience. 
and hell, the earth is pretty much hell today, okay? And it's going to get even worse. But you know what? For the non-believer, earth is the closest thing to heaven they will ever experience. All because they failed to address the question, what's the question? What will I do when the end comes? Let me just conclude with this thought. Will you be as this rich man who was speechless, helpless, hopeless, and realized it was too late for mercy? Or are you going to be like Lazarus in a place of comfort, in a place of peace throughout eternity? You know, at this point, no words, no deeds of penance, no acts of virtue will reverse your decision to serve sin over God during this lifetime. Your choice to drink from dirty cisterns served by the prophets and the false uh, who preached the false uh, prophecy or, or the pastors who taught the falsehood rather than drinking from the fountain of living water, it will have gotten you to the place that burns with fire and brimstone throughout eternity. The pastors prophesied falsely and rather than challenging them on their false teaching, you love to have it so. And why did you love to have it so? Because their false teaching allowed you to remain in the sin you loved rather than accepting the grace that God offers. You see, people who are involved in sin, they love that false teaching. Okay? Because it justifies the lifestyle they're living. But that is why God came to Jeremiah with the words we see there. Listen, the risen Christ is the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and it is Jesus Christ that makes salvation possible so that you can be like Lazarus and spend eternity in heaven rather than like the rich man and spend eternity in hell. Paul asked the Hebrews this very important question that I want to leave with you this morning. How shall you escape? Escape what, pastor? Eternity in hell. How shall you escape if you neglect such great salvation? What will you do when the end comes? Look, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you better address that question this morning. And not only address that question, but you better do something about it. Because life is short. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus Christ, taught us life is as a vapor. It appears for just a moment and it's gone away. It's gone away. I've told you this before. As much information as you can get from Google, well, don't you just love Google? As much information as you can get from Google, you will not be able to Google your death date. Look all you want. You'll never find the day that that last grain of sand is going to run through your life's hourglass. Therefore, you better be ready. You better be ready. Address the question this morning. What are you going to do when the end comes? Let's pray. Father God. Oh,